Hi team, it's that time again where I have a conversation with another kick-ass person in business. Now full disclaimer, this is not an inspirational business podcast, but you might be inspired. These aren't all going to be success stories, but they are all going to be real stories because I'm not here for the enlightened, fluffy, feel-good version of people's journeys. I want the nitty gritty raw versions. If you're a business owner, freelancer, entrepreneur, creator, or someone with a side hustle, I can guarantee you'll be able to relate to something in this episode because this is what it's really like to take a chance and chase a dream. Don't forget to hit subscribe and slide into my DMs on Instagram if you want to chat. I'm Sean, and this is not an inspirational business podcast. This week, my guest is one of the co-founders of the Big Sister Experience, which is a social enterprise that saves the lives of young girls through community events and in-school workshops. I spoke to Kritz. Her and her sister Bianca started this incredible program in early 2019. We spoke about how important this work is for our young people, what it's like starting and running a business with a family member, and navigating the turbulence of being a business owner during a global pandemic. I do want to add a slight trigger warning to this episode as we will be talking about mental health. I'm going to drop some resources in the description panel. If you or someone you know is struggling with their mental health, please reach out to somebody and seek support. It's okay to not be okay, and the world is a better place because you're here with us. Thank you so much for joining me this afternoon, taking the time. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. Awesome. (laughs) Did you want to start off by introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about what you do? Sure. So my name is Chris Chazare and I am the co-founder of the Big Sister Experience. So I started the program with my real life sister, Bianca. Um, So we run mental health and wellbeing programs for young people, their families and their educators. We start all the way from grade five and we work all the way up to year 12. So we just cover a whole range of different mental health and wellbeing issues, real life lessons, everything that I wish I knew earlier, pretty much I've put into a program that we now run with schools, mainly across Victoria, but we have worked with schools kind of interstate as well. So mean a little nutshell. <laughs> I did to prepare for this recording. I did do a bit of research and honestly, I wish you guys were around when I was a teenager. <laughs> yes. It's rare I, that we don't meet someone who doesn't say that to us. Just, Oh, I wish I knew this earlier. Or I wish there was a program like this around when I was younger. So instead of saying that we were like, let's do something about it. So yeah. definitely there's a need. Absolutely. And so before you started this business with your sister, you were actually a teacher, weren't you? Yeah. So I started back in the day in early childhood. And then I went back to uni and got my Bachelor of Education primary and early childhood as well. And then kind of entered back into the education scene as a teacher, working with grade six and just a few different year levels. So I wasn't in the teaching profession that long in the sense of I knew that my passion was education. And as soon as I got in the classroom, I was like, oh, haven't hit the nail on the head yet. And I just started to see these mental health and well-being issues really creep their way into my classroom. And I just found myself unable to teach as well. And also my students weren't able to learn as well. And I was thinking, you know, surely I can make more of an impact in their lives than teaching the things set to the curriculum. So that's kind of got my brain ticking and then left the classroom and and created my own program. But so grateful for the experiences in schools because I think I really needed that to then be able to cater something for schools and for teachers and educators. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess I was at school 
just before social media became, you know, the norm. So I can't even imagine what it's like being in sort of those later years of primary school and then moving into high school with social media as it is. Yeah. What was that like seeing it from the teacher's perspective and then saying, okay, how do we address this outside of that space? Yeah. So I can agree with you. Like I remember I grew up, I got Facebook when I was in year 12. So I definitely went through all of my teen years, not impacted, addicted to social media. So I guess even me, myself as a young adult, sometimes I was finding it hard to relate to the troubles and the issues that are arising through social media. So I could understand as well why I had parents at my door saying, what do I do? I don't even understand it. So I think that it was really coming through in different ways for different individuals, I guess. And obviously how it affects the girls was really quite different to how it was affecting the boys as well. I was seeing the girls just kind of that body comparison as well as just body shame, whether it's through online bullying, just different forms of social media and airbrushing that their brains aren't even developed for them to comprehend that it's not real or that it has been edited. Um, So it was just kind of coming through in all of these different ways, whether it would be language that I was hearing from their mouth saying, oh, you know, I, I need to look like this or I'm not, you know, I don't look like this, as well as just, yeah, the overall confidence and it was impacting their eating. It was just so much. I couldn't even comprehend the the impact that it was having from such a young age as well. Yeah, it's it's a crazy space. And I mean, it's not even just young people that are affected by it either. Oh, I mean, definitely it's, not. It's something that carries through regardless of your age. So mm. what did that conversation with your sister look like of, hey, let's start something? <laughs> Yeah. So actually my sister, so she's a teacher as well. And she was in the classroom and then she started off an empowerment program for women in their mid twenties and above kind of how to navigate through the dating world, how to love themselves and grow confidence. And she had a live event one day that all of these women brought tickets to. And she said to me, oh, you know, you've had your own journey and I would really love you to share your story of kind of how you've overcome those challenges in your life. So I stood up at her event and I told my own personal story about my own challenges with an eating disorder and self-harm when I was a teenager, as well as just later on in my life, finding myself in an abusive relationship and how I was able to kind of walk away from that. And my younger cousin was there at the time. She was 17 and and after the event, so many people were coming up to us, oh, you, you two speak so well and you really bounce off each other and it was really great. And then my little cousin said to me, I just wish that I knew all of this. Like, it's so nice that you've said that to me and I wish that I knew this before I was even 17. And it was almost like a light bulb moment for my sister and I. And we were like, why can't we teach young girls, young people about this So that we're not in like crisis management by the time they're, you know, 20 or 25. Why don't we start as a prevention, early intervention? All of the things that we kind of learned the hard way. Why can't we learn them earlier? Why can't we be speaking about self-love and self-confidence at 13 and body image and how, you know, our relationship with food should be a healthy one? So that comment was like a bit of a light bulb moment for both of us. And I guess both coming from the classroom, we both had really good knowledge around, okay, well, this is the curriculum. This is how a school works. What type of program can we create to kind of put forward to schools that's 
accessible to them that will fit into their school curriculum, affordable. And we kind of all just started putting all of that together and really coming up with the program. But one thing that we did do was interview school teachers. Obviously, a lot of teachers know teachers. We interviewed a lot of parents of teen girls and we interviewed a lot of teens themselves. And we're like, what do you want to know? Or what do you want to know and you don't want to ask or you don't want to talk about? Where's this disconnect happening? And we started coming up with a lot of really common themes that either the young people wanted to know or the parents wanted their young people to know but didn't know how to communicate it. And we're like, oh, that's where we come in. And that's kind of where the big sister experience, like the big sister bit came from. Yeah. Because although we are really sisters, We were like, we don't want to come to them as a parent and we don't want to come, you know, stand in front of them as a teacher. I'm like, oh, we'll be their big sisters. You know, someone who can say not what not to do, what to do, just, hey, we've been in your shoes not too long ago. This is what we learned. Like take some advice. Hopefully it helps you. So that's kind of really how the program, like little idea was born. And it just kind of snowballed from there, I guess. (laughs) I love that it was that moment of someone who you knew as well Mm. and, you know, was a family member saying, I wish I knew this because by sharing your story, it's almost giving people permission to share their story as well or to openly discuss whatever it is that comes up. And I think it must be so hard being a parent navigating those sort of teenage years with children because Mm. you want to share those stories. Like, yes, I went through similar things but you are still a parent. So yes, definitely. It's a very fine line. We always say that the more that you can be authentic and vulnerable and really show up to your child as a real person, you don't have to tell them all of your personal details or, you know, your intimacies with your partner or things like that. But the more that you can show, Hey, I'm a real person. Maybe you have experienced heartbreak or, you know, one of your best friends did move away or something that you can kind of relate to. And they think, Oh, actually they're a real person and they've experienced this. So it's okay if I'm feeling this way. And I think it really opens those channels of communication and all the time we work with young people and they really want that connection. But it's almost like either their parents, they feel they don't understand them. They don't give them the opportunity to kind of talk how they're really feeling without saying, oh, you know, that's bigger than you made it out to be, or that's not a big deal. But at that time, in that moment for them, it really is. I think just that open communication and that vulnerability is so important. And these days, you know, thanks to thought leaders like Brene Brown, We just continue to learn that vulnerability is the key to connection. And just through the work that I do, if we can't be vulnerable with ourselves first, with other people, we can't really create a genuine connection. It's a very superficial connection that we have with people. So it's a really great place to start. I absolutely love that so much. Talking about connections, running a business, starting a business with your sister, (laughs) <laughs> yep. <laughs> how how was that experience? Yeah, so we get asked all the time, you know, have you always been this close? Have you always mm-hmm. got along? And the answer is actually yes. So I don't know if it was that we I don't know, we just we always say we were twins born 2 years apart and we've just always really got along quite well. Obviously through our teen years she was older and I was younger and she didn't want to hang out with me. But apart from that, we've always really kind of got along and we have so many different elements of our relationship that I think were really 
the key to be able to start a business because I don't think all siblings can start a business. So my sister and I are obviously sisters. We're best friends. We have a lot of friends that are the same. We used to live together. We went to like gym together. We we had other jobs together. So we've always kind of worked really well alongside each other. Um, we definitely weren't kind of co-founders together, but we we're always co-workers in a lot of our jobs. So I think that the key to it being so successful as a partnership is because our values align. Every time that there was a decision to be made, when your core values are the same with someone, you often agree with or come to the same conclusions or want to kind of do things the same way. Because when you really cut down the layers, it's okay, what's the value here? It's helping other people. It's supporting other people. It's sharing our knowledge with others. So how do we then, the other things kind of fell into place about how we do that. But I think we were always really open and honest with what we wanted and how we achieved that. And we both also have our strengths that we're really aware of. (laughs) And, you know, my sister's a really incredible writer and great at that relationship building, whereas I'm more the accounts and the finance department and, you know, different sides of things. And I think sometimes it's putting your ego aside and saying, you're actually better than than me at this. And that's okay. I think we've all got to be really aware of our strengths and our weaknesses. And of course, I'm always working to kind of dub out my weaknesses, but just being really open and honest with each other. So it's been a roller coaster. I'm not going to say starting a business is easy, but I'm always so grateful that I have her as a partner and a co-founder. And I don't honestly know if I could do it alone. And I don't actually want to. Sometimes people are like, oh, you know, would and I'm like, no, I wouldn't want to do this alone. And sometimes I speak to, you know, sole traders or individuals and they're like, sometimes I do wish I had someone who really understood the intricacies of my business or what I'm going through or how lonely it can feel sometimes or how stressful. So we're we're kind of really grateful that we have each other to be like, yeah, I know. <laughs> no, that's amazing. And I think that's amazing advice for anyone who is thinking about any kind of partnership within business, yeah. like having those same sort of, you know, values and morals and the yeah. way that you work through things and putting aside your ego and saying, actually, definitely, I suck at spreadsheets. This yeah. is your, <laughs> this is completely Yeah, which is hard space. to do. It's hard to do to say that someone is better than you at something, but you know, that's okay sometimes. And we all have our strengths and weaknesses, but I think, yeah, definitely even the way we hire now, it's not about the qualification. It's what do you value in life? What's really important to you? You know, how do you feel about continuously learning or how do you feel about being vulnerable? And that's really, if we can kind of get staff members or talent members, as we like to call them with us, that have our same values, we can train them how to do the work. But you can't change someone's values. You can't say what's important to someone or how we treat other people. It's very hard to teach those skills. So we really go to that first. Absolutely. Now you did just say it was a bit of a roller coaster or it has been a roller coaster, the journey. What are some of the big struggles that you've overcome? Where do we start? (laughs) I would say the first big step that I'm sure other people who have started their own business, and maybe you can relate as well, is it started off as a little bit of a, a side hustle as we were 
building it up, I guess. And we were both in full-time teaching roles. So we had a regular paycheck, we had regular hours, we had school to holidays. And then it was almost like we either commit or it's never going to take off. And I think that the first hurdle to overcome was that decision to leave your comfort zone, to leave a paycheck that's consistently coming in, to dedicate your time and energy to something that you don't know is going to work yet. So I think that was the hardest decision. And always with change, it brings, you know, that doubt and that fear. So leaving our full-time roles was definitely the first kind of obstacle. And then it goes to, okay, well, you can have a love and passion for something, but we also need to get paid. And I think that was a really big challenge as well, because there's two of us, there's one business. So juggling casual work on the side and should we take a wage or should we not? And you want the business to kind of gain that momentum and you don't want to be sucking too much money from it. So I think that was a really big challenge. And sometimes people don't talk about it, but you can be in a industry where you are passionate and you give. And the work that we do is changing you know, society and we really give a lot back. But at the end of the day, like it still is our job and we still do need to get paid and live outside of it. So I think finding that balance was the first hurdle. Yeah. And I think that's something, that initial step where you sort of make the decision to let go of the security of full-time employment, you know, most people I know who have started their own business were in really stable, you know, really secure roles Mm. or positions and, you know, big companies or government or things like that. And that initial step is absolutely terrifying. Oh, terrifying. And I think at the beginning, and I mean, it it still happens even years into business, the fluctuation of money as well. Yeah, can be, definitely. If you're so used to having a continuous paycheck and you know, you know, this much is going into my tax and this much is going into my super and yeah. you know, everything like that. And then all of a sudden that's gone. And there's this fluctuation where some months it's yeah. thousands of dollars and some months it's maybe not even hundreds. And yes. <laughs> yes, it's a roller coaster, just that in itself. You know, I, I really take my hat off to any other uh, entrepreneur or anybody who has their own business because we were the ones who were brave enough to walk away from that consistency to start something that we were really passionate about. And I think so many people have passions, they have dreams, they have things that they would really love to go and do, but there's only a small number of us who are actually, and I would say it's brave, brave enough to walk away and be like, no, I'm going to give this a go. And it's okay if it doesn't work, but I think that we really need to take the time to be proud of ourselves to say, yeah, we were passionate enough to kind of leave the stable and go to something that we were willing to give a go. Has there been a time that you were ready to chuck it all in and go back to teaching? (laughs) Uh, So obviously we started, I mean, we started before that, but we officially started in schools in 2019 and it was exciting. The program was taking off. We were actually getting so busy that we got an office. (laughs) You you feel special when you get things like that, when you've got an office and you buy, you know, office furniture. And (laughs) yeah, it's funny because that was such a huge achievement for us. And then after the pandemic, everyone's like, I'm never going back to the office. So it's funny that that was a really big achievement for us, but it was um, getting, getting an office space. And then obviously we're all aware 2020 hit and it was just, 
Yeah, again, it was complete meltdown. Where is, like, if we're not working in schools and the business isn't bringing in money, where are we living? How are we surviving? And it was real, as we all know, that basic human need of food, safety, shelter was very unsturdy for everyone. Of course, those of us that run our own business. So the lucky thing was, and again, I bring this back to being so grateful that I'm in business with my sister. We never wanted to chuck in the towel at the same time. I don't know how it happened. Thank gosh, because if we both were at the same time, I really don't know. We probably would have, but it was always me like, I'm done. That's it. Like, just delete the website. Lock it out. Just cancel the one three hundred number. It's gone. And she was always like, "No, no. Like, I'll take the load this week." And and then she would come forward, and she's like, "That's it. Like, I bought a twelve case of wine. The big sister experience is done. It was fun while it lasted." And I'm like, "You drink the wine. I'll take the workload." So luckily, it was never the same time. So we're still here. We're still kicking. That's awesome. How has the transition been from obviously pre-COVID, during COVID and now post-COVID? How are things going now with the world sort of dropping back into a, a normal? We were quite lucky in the sense that we joined a business group at the start of our program, which really enabled us to plan ahead. So back in 2019, we were like, online programs are a trend. So we actually worked for six to eight months and created an online program. So when COVID hit, we were like ready to go. We'd already had our program. It wasn't something that we needed to quickly rush and put together. So during COVID, we came up with Project Me, which is our online wellbeing program. And that was really popular for schools and councils to be able to provide to their young people just a touch point in terms of what should be a priority in terms of looking after your wellbeing at the moment. So that was quite good for us to be able to, I hate the word pivot, but (laughs) (laughs) I'm sick of the word pivot, but it was, it was for us to be able to offer that and have the program ready to go. And we were doing programs online, but it's never the same to work and to really open people up online when they're on mute with no camera. It's very difficult. So after COVID, I want to say we were grateful for the pandemic and I want to explain that in the sense of we always have known that mental health and well-being should be a priority as a prevention but I think that the pandemic has really all of these issues were there before with our young people with us as adults with just humans in general covid has magnified every little feeling and problem that we have had before the pandemic. So I'm grateful for it in the sense of now we are talking more openly about mental health and well-being. Now it's a priority. Now we're offering that prevention, that early intervention, as well as the crisis management. And not only just in society, but schools are taking it on as a priority as well, saying, yeah, actually, we do have a budget. And instead of always doing a sporting carnival or something to do with sports or activities, maybe let's invest this into the mental health and well-being of our young people to allow them to really gain the skills and knowledge to empower them to take back charge of their feelings before we're kind of at that crisis management point. So I am glad in one sense that it happened. Of course, not the actual pandemic and the aftermath, but what it highlighted is that need for connection and relationship. And without our mental health, a lot of other things fall apart. 
if we aren't looking after ourselves or if we aren't mentally well, a lot of other things don't run as well. We don't show up as our best authentic selves. Our jobs then aren't done as well as they could be if we weren't in a better headspace, just connecting with other people and the way that we just show up to the world. So it's been so busy after COVID. And as we were saying before, just I feel like people are a bit more confident now that's where staying open. So they're more willing to kind of book things in and, and be involved in programs that have external visitors on site or we have large groups of people. So it's been busy, but so grateful for it. That's amazing. And I completely agree that COVID as horrible and devastating as it was globally, that Mm. so many positives came out of it. And I think the spotlight into mental health and self-care was probably one of the most important. And the setting it up as in younger people so that they have the tools to understand as they Mm. move through life how to deal with emotions, how to understand, how to communicate them. And I think it's something that even though there's always been a lot of talk around mental health, the tools and programs and facilitation of it has never really been, especially not at schools anyway. When I think about stuff, like even sex ed at school was a complete mess when I was there. And I can't even imagine them talking about mental health at that stage. Yeah, definitely. And it's just, we always say, you know, we are talking about it, but there's always room for improvement. And, you know, when we talk about physical health, if we see someone limping, we say, oh, what happened? Are you okay? Have you seen a doctor? Why don't we do that with mental health? You know, how are you feeling? Do you need to go and see someone? And I think it is slowly changing, but there still is that stigma around it. And I guess because we can never fully understand something if we can't see it, if we can't feel it. And a lot of the time to express how we're feeling inside or what's going on in our brains and minds as adults is very difficult. So for as young people, it's very difficult for them to explain what they're thinking, what they're feeling to other people to be able to reach out to get that support. Was there anything that really surprised you with starting the business in sort of these early years? I think surprised in the sense of how many people are willing to help. I don't know if it's because of the specific industry that we are in and everybody knows a young girl or a young person, whether it is their own daughter, their sister, their niece, friend's daughter. And so many people just, as you said as well, you know, I wish I knew this earlier and what can I do? I think that was really, really nice and surprising as well. But on the other side of that, super surprising that some people kind of even in our space, you know, you meet and they've got one persona and then sometimes you meet people and you're like, ooh, didn't think that you were like that. And I don't think that we can be in this space of mental health and well-being and not truly embody that even in our own personal life as well. So I guess that's surprising. And I think, as you said, a lot of people at the moment have jumped on the mental health and well-being bandwagon and it is a little bit of a buzzword and, and there are you know, people and programs coming up now. And I don't doubt that their intentions are to help, but sometimes it's surprising to see people and what they put forward and then how they really are. Yeah. Has there been anything that you've learned from your business that you didn't sort of realize before starting it? Yeah, definitely. I think the one, and again, back to so many people willing to help, I think that just the community and the relationships that you really need to focus on fostering in order for your business to thrive is really important. And my sister and I can obviously, we've created their course, we we run the program, 
but it's really the community and the network around us to support us to allow our program to really become and flourish into what it needs to. So we've had some of the best business advice from people that are not in our field. (laughs) So it's almost like you need to take on board different perspectives and different opinions from different industries and different individuals to really allow your business to develop. And again, that putting that ego aside and and allowing someone to come in and critique or give you some advice on your business or your business model or your pricing or anything sometimes can be hard to hear, but we've had the most incredible growth. Okay. So the rapid fire questions. First one is what is a fundamental value that you've woven throughout everything that you do and why is it important to you? I think the fundamental value that I weave through everything that I do is passion. And I like to have themes for my years as well. And that's, I don't know, it just always seems to be one that's my favorite because I believe that it comes into the work that I do, the business that I run, but also my personal life, whether it be with my family, with anything that I'm doing outside of the work. I think that when you've got passion behind it, that motivation and drive is really there to follow. So I would definitely say passion. What is your go-to remedy when you're having an off day? Ooh, I love meditating. So I'm a bit of a meditator. Um, Dr. Joe Dispenza is one of my go-tos. So I would always do a meditation um, to just get me back on track, even if it's just five minutes. That always just seems to calm me down. So definitely meditation. Perfect. What is an important lesson you've learned since starting your business? Ask for what you want. Think that as women, just as a business owner, I was really kind of hesitant to ask people what I wanted or what I needed. And it took myself to kind of reframe that and really asking for what I want. And I was just so surprised at what I received. And if I didn't, I would always look back and be thankful that I didn't at that time because the universe had something better in store for me. So definitely asking for what it is you want. And that's not just in business as well, just personal lives and kind of enforcing those boundaries and saying, this is what I want. This is what I need. I love that. And I think as women, we are sort of taught not to do that, not to speak up. And yeah, I think not just in business, like you said, in your personal life as well, like for sure. What is the big dream? Oh, that's a good question. I would really love for not ours, but it would be great if it's ours, but any form of mental health and well-being program to just be implemented in every single school as part of the curriculum from a very young age and for it to just really be a priority. And I think that doing that and implementing that as an early intervention prevention I'm not to say that it would save everybody from crisis, but I think there's definitely so much, you know, that we can be doing in that prevention and early intervention stage in the early years in schools that can really help us later on in life, avoiding some of the issues that we just could have learned the skills and strategies earlier, but either there's no budget there, there's no priority there, there's no time there. So yeah, that would be my big dream to kind of every school to have a program like ours implemented. Amazing. And it would just be a bonus if it was yours. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) What is a resource tool or system that you use in your business that you couldn't live without? Ooh, I would have to say zero, the accounting app. And I always 
thought, oh, you know, we're not ready for that yet. In the early days, we're not kind of invoicing enough or we're not getting enough work. And I just wish that I had it from day one because it just allows you to see what is working, what's not working, what's kind of bringing you revenue, how long are things taking to turn around and just that comparison. And also it can make you feel really great to be like, it was a hard year, but look how far we've come. So I know that might sound really strange, but yeah, I would say zero. (laughs) No, I honestly, as someone who did their own bookkeeping for two and a half years, hiring a bookkeeper and implementing zero literally changed my business. (laughs) Yeah. And it's just, I think like we've always got to be aware of the financials in our own business, but also it's just, like I said, it's such a motivator to be like, it's hard work, but look how far you've come and not everything should be monetized, but it does help to see that, you know, all of your work is kind of paying off and those 80 hours per week (laughs) that you're working have kind of turned into something. So I would definitely say that. I don't think it's a weird answer at all. I think it's great. Yeah, (laughs) that's what (laughs) What is something that's happened in your business recently that you're proud of? I would say something that's changed is that now after COVID, we used to offer just, you know, full day workshops and one-off programs. And now we've kind of developed a 10-week program. So we're working with schools on an ongoing basis with small groups of young people to really allow us to form those relationships, those bonds, and work with them ongoing to kind of make sure that what we're doing, what we're teaching them is really sticking and they can implement it into their lives. So I'm really looking forward to it because some days we make such a connection with the young people we work with. And I'm just so excited to see what happens after 10 weeks. I can't even imagine the change and just the relationship that will form with each person that we work with. So I'm most proud of that. That's amazing. What is a hot tip about your industry that people might not know? I don't think a lot of people realize how hard it is to break into the school market. It's a really long process. And I would just say a hot tip is like one thing that we've learned is just old school telemarketing <laughs> can work really well when it comes to working with schools and working with teachers, just calling and introducing the program and saying, hey, did you know that this is available? And so many schools are like, I had no idea. Or, oh my goodness, I've been looking for a program like this. So I think that teachers and educators are so busy that the more that we can put our program in front of them, whatever that be, a phone call as well is going to be a really great way to kind of expose the program and break into that market. Which I think is really interesting because, I mean, so many people I talk to, their business is social media based, like all their marketing and connections and things like that. Whereas that's sort of, if you're looking at education and school, it's a whole different ballgame. And don't get me wrong, we do really use Instagram and Facebook, but I think also just calling and speaking to the staff and reception even and well-being has been a really beneficial to us. Interesting. What is one piece of advice you'd give to someone listening right now who's thinking about starting a business or right at the beginning of their business journey? I would just say, make sure that it's something that you are passionate about. Make sure that it's something that really comes from the heart because when times get hard and they will, it's really important that your whole being is aligned with the purpose and the vision and the mission of that business. Because if it's not, the hard times seem way too hard and not worth it. So I would just say, make sure that you're staying true to yourself and and what you're really passionate about. And even though it gets hard, 
it does get better and, it, and it's really worth it in the end for you personally if you start a business that's aligned with your own personal values. And I think that's such an important piece of advice because it is hard. It's a roller coaster. It's up, it's down, it's all of the things. And one thing I've seen with entrepreneurs that succeed is that they're in a space that is purely their passion. It is their purpose, their passion, their goal, their drive. And even when it's crappy, that's the thing that keeps pushing them forward. Definitely. Yeah, that's what it has to be. And it just has to kind of come from the heart first. If you were to give one piece of advice to young people in our community around mental health, what would it be? I would say that firstly, it's okay not to be okay. And I think that although society is talking about it a lot more, there still is some stigma around it. So it's okay not to be okay. But I would also say like, don't wait too long to reach out for help and support. Even if it is just speaking to someone, it can be so beneficial And then the final thing is, do you have any parting words for our listeners, a little bomb of wisdom that you want to share? So we always use the quote in our workshops, you can be the ripest, juiciest peach in the world, and there's still going to be people who don't like peaches. And I think that I would leave people with that because just be your true, authentic self and surround yourself with people who love peaches, who love you for who you are. I think the more that you can be yourself, the more that you're going to kind of succeed in the world, whether it's in business, whether it's personally, just be your true authentic self and it will carry you through. I love that so much. I'm probably more of a nectarine person, but that's okay. Yeah, be your own self, (laughs) whatever it is, and surround yourself with people who love that. So that's amazing. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it so much. I'm going to link all of your details in the comments so everyone can find you, find out more about what you do, support your amazing work that you're doing because I think it's so so important. And yeah, I've I've absolutely loved this. Amazing. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the chat. That's it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you'd like to share your own story or tell us what you think of this one, feel free to head over to Instagram and slide into my DMs. By the way, you're not going to want to miss next week's episode. I know I say this every time, but seriously, my next guest is kick-ass.